Welcome to Transformation for Success with Dr. Barbara Young. If you're looking for something more, something different, something better, this is your opportunity. Over the next hour, we'll talk about inspiration for personal and professional success. Now, here is your host, Dr. Barbara Young. Well, hello. This is Dr. Barbara Young, and with me today is my co-host, Mr. Hammond Bolden, on Transformation for Success Radio Show. So I want to greet all of you out there, all of my listeners all over the globe. I want to thank you and give a big shout out to my international and national listeners. You know, we have a fantastic guest today, Reverend Mr. Ty Bledsoe, who's had an exciting transformation story to share with you. So Mr. Hammond Bolden, you want to greet our guest today, Mr. Ty Bledsoe. Yes. Good afternoon, uh, Reverend Ty. How you doing today, man? I am doing fantastic, Cam, and I'm just glad to be with you and Dr. Young and, and the millions of listeners across the globe. Absolutely. Well, we want, we want to thank you for being on the show today. So, listeners, I want you to tell your friends to listen in or download this show for later listening because we have a very interesting topic today, Inspired to Dream and Empowered to serve perspective of a man who's been on both sides. So I want you to get your notebooks and your pens ready if you're not driving, as you're going to hear Mr. Bledsoe's story of success. And I know you're going to want to take notes. So Ty, again, I want to welcome you to the show. But I want to share some pertinent information about you. Uh, And actually, this is really, really wonderful to have you on the show, because I met Mr. Reverend Ty Bledsoe uh, last year in Washington, D.C. And I was so impressed with his story and background that I invited him then to be on the show. So we've had some challenges because he's a very, very businessman, business, a busy man, rather. And he is a businessman. He's a corporate leader. So it was a little something getting him on the show. So I want to thank you today for taking time from your busy schedule to be on the Transformation for Success show. So let me just share this. Ty is an ordained minister. In fact, he's a third-generation member of the clergy. He is a corporate leader, motivational speaker, coalition builder, and author. He has inspired millions of young people with rich life lessons and solutions for the future, ranging from pursuing racial reconciliation and on shared economic prosperity. So Hammond, you want to, you know, share just a little bit about Mr. Reverend Ty? <laughs> well, absolutely. Uh, again, you know, today you're going to hear some some awesome things as Ty shares um, his transformational journey uh, from humble beginnings, from becoming a licensed minister at age 16 and then being ordained at age 21. So as you know, this show is really designed um, to inspire listeners to to help and aid and assist listeners uh, about the stories of transformation. And so he's going to share how, uh, at one point in his life where he may have lost closely his life and his way at a very young age, um, and Ty being of many talents and responsibility, he does have one purpose, folks, one purpose, and that's to inspire you some hope and victory that are both attainable. So again, this show you will want to share with your friends. So stay tuned and don't touch that dial. Uh, we're going to hear from Ty, as well as um, both from myself and Dr. Young, uh, about the opportunity to discuss his compelling story of transformation. And, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to have Mr. Bolden on the show today is because the show is not just uh, for women, but it's also for women and men. We are on the Women's Empowerment Channel. We're also we're, I'm sorry, we're on the Women's Channel. We're also on the Empowerment Channel. So we're here every Tuesday live at 12 noon on the Empowerment Channel and on Fridays at 12 noon on the Women's Channel. And we replay 21 times throughout the week for your listening pleasure. So I want to invite many of you out there who are listening. You're welcome to join our discussion today by emailing me at info at transformationforsuccess.com or you actually can call into the show at 888-346-9141. Now, I always give my listeners an opportunity 
to listen again and they can access my channel page voice america transformation for success i realize that we're around the globe there are many times and often people are working they're doing other things but we do offer you that opportunity to listen to the show and you can also contact me on twitter facebook and linkedin because i'd love to hear from you again as mr bolden you shared the show is really designed to inspire you the listener with stories of individuals who've overcome their hurdles, their challenges to enjoy the richness of life today. So as you listen today with our guest, Reverend Ty Bledsoe, that you're going to be inspired that in spite of the obstacles that you may be going through or that have come your way, you too can be transformed. So Ty, how are you doing? (laughs) I am fantastic. Dr. Young, I'm, I'm just honored to have this time with yourself and Hammond. And to and to talk about empowerment, empowerment overcoming, and so it's. Um, I'm just very honored to to spend this time with you. Well, we're happy to have you. Truly, uh, you have an incredible story to share with the listeners today. But first, I want you to. I want to share some interesting things about your early life. Um, because I want to speed up the process and really get into it. You were born in Oakland, California, raised by your mom in Richmond, California plagued by a failing public school system, lackluster economy, and rising crime. So your family moved to another town, Fresno, for a better quality of life and then. So my first question, Ty, is how was your experience being raised by a single mom? Tell us about those early years. Well, you know, you know, thank you. Thank you, Dr. Young. You know, you know I want to just say, you know, I told myself, told my wife this morning before um, leaving, I said, you know, I'm going to have this interview with, with Dr. Young, and uh, one thing I don't want to do is cry. And my wife oh. laughed. I said, why? I said, because I think uh, maybe, you know, some real you know, key questions may be asked. And um, being raised by a single single mother, and to be candid, um, my mother's a black woman, African-American woman. Being raised mm-hmm. by a single black woman, um in the twentieth, you know, in the, the tail end of the twentieth century, uh, was humbling. Was humbling, and it was an honor. And mm-hmm. if it wasn't for my mother's sacrifices, and for her making some decisions that um, not only preserved my life, because it's began that my mother, um, my mother did not have to have me. And so I'm honored that my mother had me, and she made sacrifices from an economic standpoint, from a career standpoint, and really prioritized trying to trying to provide the best quality education and also mm-hmm. the best quality communities that we can live in. So I'm very, very thankful for my mother and loving mom. I'm mother, my mother's in California right now. Um, that experience, it, 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 it grounded me. It grounded mm-hmm. me mm-hmm. to really mm-hmm. dream. My mother taught me at a very, very young age. She taught me a couple of things. One thing she taught me was to treat people the way I want to be treated and not the way I'm, I'm treated. And mm-hmm. she also taught me to to show as much respect and compassion as possible. So in our family, showing comp- compassion and caring was, was paramount. It was less mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. Um, materialism and, and, and keeping up with the Joneses. It was about taking care of family. So my, my mother's family, my maternal family, we have a mantra for over 100 years, is God, family, country. And I to my young children, mm-hmm. I still teach them that. And, and I was raised with that, and... Regardless of whatever happens as an American or what's happening in, in the world, we think of we think of that mantra. And mm-hmm. I am just very very thankful. And talking about that experience, um, let's be candid. You know, we did move quite a bit, right? Um, right. Mom was trying mm-hmm. to find the best economic environment for for the family, and also the best mm-hmm. environment to keep me out of gangs and and failing public schools, and you know, kind of between that. That age of eleven and, and fourteen years old was 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 one of those tipping points, right? And so mm-hmm. I went to two different elementary schools. This is featured in in my debut book, The Mountaintop. Um, I went to two elementary schools, four middle schools, and three high schools. And you know, wow. we did move 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 a bunch, but. The big component was mom was looking for a better economic situation between employment and then also trying to move you to the best, the best public school during those years. And so um, right. it's kind of tough right. to keep up with some friends, but uh, I'm just very thankful. 
Yeah, you know, it I worked was going to I was going to ask you that question, two things. One, I love your mom already because, you know, raising, being a single parent is not easy. Were you the only child, Ty? Or she had, I'm not. I'm okay. not. So um, as I described in the book, um, um, my family is a little complicated, right? And I think we have tens, if not hundreds of millions of, of listeners across the globe could probably empathize with, with me not having kind of an ideal nuclear household. So my mother... And father never married, right? Um, my mother had my older sister, um, Danya, uh, from her first marriage. And so my one sister is seven years older than me. So my mother has two children, one with my father, one with her, her, um, her first husband. And so it's two of us. My father has several children, one with my mother, and he has three, three children from, from, from two, two relationships. So I have three sisters and one brother. Um, so we have, um, it's, it's a little different. So everyone's not a blood. So, but, um, well, that's, yeah, but that's okay, Ty. You know, if you look at is. the statistics nationally, we know that like 80, 80 plus percent of families in America are dysfunctional. So you're not alone. I mean, there's just, but it's just wonderful. The most marvelous thing is what your mother did in the best interest of her children. And that was to move to have, for you to have a better life. But tell us, uh, and, and I applaud you for that and the man that you've become and the father and husband you've become today. But how did you become a licensed minister at age 16? Hammond, <laughs> you know Ooh. all about Mr. Bolden. <laughs> how did you become a licensed minister at age 16 and then later ordained at 21? Wow. Oh boy, so, so you know, I'm, I'm third generation. So my, my father... Um, mm-hmm. And God bless him. He's he's in he's in critical condition in, in the Phoenix area. Um, oh, he's, he's 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 really so ill. So about that. the audience for believers, please keep him in your prayers. Well, father man, was a man. Baptist preacher for from Baptist preacher and pastor for for most of his life in Northern California. And my maternal grandfather, who's my mother's father, was a Pentecostal pastor in in the East Bay in Northern California as well. And so I grew up as a PK. I grew up as a preacher's kid. I grew up as a GPK, a grand preacher's kid. And my, fortunately, like many, many people around this planet, right, my maternal grandparents were very active in, in, my, in my rearing. And so my mm-hmm. mother raised me as both a mother and father, you know, being a single mother. But my maternal grandparents were there, um, very, very active in my life, kept me in the church. Um, the focus, God found the country, but the big component, the subtle one was academics. I said it really, really kept me mm-hmm. ingrained mm-hmm. in, in mm-hmm. the church community with values and to drive character. And I would say um, it was late elementary school. Late elementary school, I really developed a, a passion for, for learning the scriptures and really wrestling with some complex theological and biblical matters. And mm-hmm. I just took to studying theology. And I remember my grandfather telling me uh, when I became older, because at five years old, you were asking very complex theological questions. He goes, and I knew then you had a calling to become a clergy. And so went through the process. I actually thought I was going crazy um, when I started having wow. dreams as a freshman in high school. Um, very, very vivid dreams. I did not, I could not interpret them. Took those dreams to my father and grandfather. And within about two weeks, they had said, okay, he is experiencing the calling. They never told me that. Privately, they said, he's experiencing the calling. They would interpret my dreams. Within two months, I had an ability to interpret my dreams, and I just thought I was going out of my mind. I um, and, But it was the calling, and I was a freshman in, in the middle part of my freshman year of high school, and so I was called at 15 years old, and then I went before the Church of God in Christ, which is a Pentecost nomination in the United States, went to my home church at that time in Oakland, California. We were living in Fresno, which is about three and a half hours away in the mm-hmm. middle of California, um, communicated that to the pastor and to the, to the church. And then I went on a six-month um, vetting process where the church, well, they really vet you. They, they, they look at your character, look at your behavior, your mm-hmm. biblical understanding, your commitment to, to serving others. And, and so then I was, you would call a minister in training now, but I was vetted for six months. And after I was well, Ty, what we need to do real quick is pause that thought uh, because we're going to take a quick break uh, for you listeners, uh, and uh, we're going to come back and finish up with this amazing transformational journey and story 
from Reverend Ty Bledsoe. So, folks, stay tuned. Uh, we'll be right back. With this brief- Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Can you think of anybody who does not want a better life and to be a better person? Think about that for a second. Almost everyone wants to be better, but how does one go about doing that? One thing that is making people better every week is tuning into the Self-Improvement Show with Dr. Irene Conlon. All real change comes from within, but many of us don't know where to find the information or guidance we need to make the changes that bring about the improvement. Most of us don't know how to work within. Listen Thursdays at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Do you or somebody you love have a struggle with abuse? You don't need to be a slave to your abuse anymore. Listen for Beyond Abuse, Beyond Therapy, Beyond Anything with Dr. Lisa Cooney. Dr. Lisa overcame struggles in her own life. Two decades of sexual, emotional, and physical abuse nearly took their toll. In her 20s, she turned her life around and set upon a path to help others. She can help you find the key to take control of your life, too. Listen every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. This is Transformation for Success. To reach Dr. Barbara Young or today's guest, please call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to info at transformationforsuccess.com. Now, back to this week's program. And hello there, and welcome back to Transformation for Success with my fantastic and interesting guest today, Mr. Ty Bledsoe, who is sharing this exciting transformation story, inspired to dream and empowered to serve. We're talking about the perspective of a man who's been on both sides. So, Ty, when we went for commercial break, we were talking about you were ordained, you were minister in training, you provided all that service, you went through this enormous training experience to become later ordained at age 21. Now, I want to know, I want to move quickly because I want people to really see your story of really what happened to you because here you are uh, in Fresno, California, and I want you to share what happened at that time in your life. Well, I was, I was a freshman, and this is before I was called to the ministry. I was a freshman, um, you know, right around 50 years old, and I was a, I'll be honest, I was a knucklehead the first, the first two months of my freshman year. Um, I had mm-hmm. gone from being an Honorville student to being a, you know, maybe a C average student and cutting class and hanging out with students who really just have a vision and purpose for their lives. And I, I left campus, and it was a very stupid move. I was going to a magnet school in the middle of the hood. Um, for, for those around the world, you may call it a barrio, but it, it was a, it was a, it was a hood. Um, it was a real rough neighborhood, and um, I was with two students, and stupid me, I threw a rock at the wrong gangster's grandmother's project door. And um, I threw a rock just being dumb. We ran to try to go on campus. No one was chasing us. Um, about 15 feet before we jumped the fence to go back on campus, two uh, gangbangers stopped us. And this is, this is referenced in the book, two gangbangers stopped us. And um, I found out very quickly. Um, it was his grandmother's mm. home. He pulled out a twenty-two revolver um, and asked us and said, okay, oh my the rock. goodness. And oh. I'll be honest, I lied. I said, not me. And the other guys knew it wasn't me. And I think it must be God, Dr. Young, because there's mm-hmm. no reason why those guys couldn't remember said, this guy did it with the curly hair, the skinny, bony guy from San Francisco with the curly hair through the rock. I was the only one that threw a big rock. And they developed amnesia. They could not remember nothing. They just said, I didn't do it. And I knew I lied. And I said, if I tell the truth, I'm dead. The guy put the gun to my head and said, if you don't meet you through this, I'm going to put a hot one in you, and I want to see the word. I'm going to put a hot one in your butt. And I just said, uh, I just was quiet. And then I knew, look, this is it. I'm dead. And I just prayed. I just prayed for forgiveness and said, you know, God, forgive me. Just receive my soul. And uh, he cocked cocked the gun back right on my forehead. And I just remembered right now and about... 
maybe about seven seconds later, a cop pulled up from the northwest corner behind me. And um, I heard one of the gangbangers with him yelled 5-0. And right when he did that, the guy pulled the gun back and everybody scattered like roaches. And I just took that as the quickest way for me to get out of Dodge. I jumped that fence, flipped over, almost broke my back. Oh, my goodness. I never saw those, those guys again. And that was, for me, that was my eureka moment. That was wow. my eureka moment when everything was clear after that. I cannot allow myself to be in this environment where I can be killed, I could be a statistic, I could be forgotten about, and whatever I can do to impact my family and the world just becomes a vapor. And after that, everything returned to the way it should have been. And so that really precipitated me going to the ministry about nine months later. Well, that would precipitate anybody to turn their lives around with something like that, I tell you. Wow, what a wake-up call. Would you call that the defining moment in your life? Or one of the defining moments in your life? (laughs) It was a defining moment in my my pre-adult life. Emphatically, it was. Because until the last year, my my mother and father never knew that story. I was too nervous to even tell my parents up to two years ago. And um, in in the current endeavor I'm doing now, they're like, you had a gun placed to your head at 15 years old? And I told my mom, I said, Mom, that was the day I was suspended. I was suspended after that situation because I got caught cutting class. I was suspended. I said, Mom, the day I was suspended in high school, that was the day the gun was put to my head about an hour before I was suspended. And so my mom was like, you've kept the secret. I said, well, I just was so so nervous to get in trouble. So, um, But that was, that was the Eureka moment. And from that moment on, I said, no, I have to devote myself to faith, academics, and trying to empower people mm-hmm. who were... Who need hope. So let me ask you, you know, Ty, how did things. you integrate your academics and social empowerment with your faith? Well, for me, you know, I grew up as a as a as a big fan of the American U.S. civil rights movement. So my grandparents, my maternal grandparents, were great influences on me. And in my family, you know, Dr. Martin Luther King, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, um, is 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 revered, right? So the leaders, uh, the Eldridge Cleavers, the Stokely Carmichael's, the you know, Malik Shabazz, a.k.a. Malcolm X, right? Those leaders were, were well-respected, right, because of their advocacy for, for servanthood. And um, I just grew up studying and reading. I read, doc, uh, I read Malcolm X's autobiography in the sixth grade at 12 years old. And so for me, social justice, okay. economic empowerment, equal opportunity, regardless of race, creed, economic status, nationality, I was raised with that bedrock. So for me, my faith... And, and social, political activism mm-hmm. and equal opportunity were blended, right? So my faith in being Christian, that Christ had a ministry that was targeted those who were poor and those who were the lost sheep of Israel. And even as I studied Islam and as I studied other faiths, the faith really drew and cleaved to folks who were, who were the downtrodden, who were forsaken, who had been persecuted, and that mm-hmm. really connected with me as a young person. So as I grew, my academics, I saw that as a weapon, as opposed mm-hmm. to sudden, as opposed to, um, you know, um, you know, hustling crack or, or weed on the streets. I saw making great grades and performing well academically. I saw that as pursuing excellence. And I saw that as a way to empower my family and if possible to impact the next three generations of my future lineage, which means I'll impact my great grandkids. Thinking about that as a, at a 15, 16 year old age, thinking about, three generations out, and I said, if uh-huh. I can do this right, I can probably have an in- impact on somebody across the planet who I would never think I, I would impact. And um, I think I've had a chance to try to try to fulfill that thus far. Well, you know, I know that you went to college, and that is absolutely uh, laudable, uh, Ty. And College, uh, as I understood from you when I talked with you many uh, months ago, that the college years were very transformative for you. And you went on to become Associated Student Body President. Um, How was that? How did that come about? But I think the important thing is you became the Associated Associated Student Body President, and then you were subsequently disqualified. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) What a story. So can you just briefly, succinctly... Tell us that just a little bit. Well, I'll say this. Um, In 2001, so this is the pre-Obama era, 
um, turn of the 21st century. In 2001, shortly before the terrorist attacks of 9-11, just like you said, Dr. Young, I was elected the first black student body president at the University of California, Davis, in over 50 years. And I was shockingly disqualified. Um, and what I had went through in that process was a battle against blatant bigotry and threats and societal woes of racial injustice and religious intolerance. And some of those issues still plague our nation today, and not only the United States, but around the world. And uh, I, ran with, I won with 52% of the popular vote. My close opponent was 25 percentage points behind me, and the next opponent was 37 mm-hmm. points behind me as far as um, in, in, in the polls. So it was, it was the biggest landslide in the history of UC Davis student body elections. My vice president and six senators on my slate, the eight of us, we had won all slate, all, all positions that had never been done in 85 years of UC Davis history. And uh, what ensued after that was just a battle for power and, and, and also bigotry was involved, homophobia was involved. Wow. Was, wow. At that time, the battle of my life. And I had death threats, unfortunately. Death threats. Oh, my goodness. So, so they were we, just... Go ahead. Uh-huh. Um, you know... I just tell you the date. I just remembered it like it was yesterday. So I was elected on February 22nd, 2001. Popular vote, pandemonium, covered the front page of the newspaper. Three weeks later, um, our student Supreme Court, this is after Bush v. Gore, and for those who remember Bush v. Gore, that was the, the, the legal yes. battle between you know, uh, Governor Hi. George W. Bush and, and former Vice President Gore. Um, and that was challenged to the Supreme Court that decided the election. Our student Supreme Court had agreed with our opponents that we beat that, you know, we should be disqualified. Our opponents submitted seven campaign violations. If three of those violations are deemed valid, a political ticket or candidate is disqualified. Dr. Young and him, in the history of UC Davis, no presidential slate that had won the election had ever previously been disqualified on whatever violations, whatever, right? Um, two of the accusations were deemed valid. One was someone campaigning within 100 foot of the, feet of the polling station, right? That's a, that's a point. We acknowledged that, and that's fine. Another, we had an oversized poster. It was a Brady Bunch poster, for those who know the Brady wow. Bunch. It wow. was just too big. Wow. So we had two wow. campaign points for that, and the elections committee, third-party arbiter, had deemed two of the seven were valid, the other were frivolous. Our opponents appealed it to the student Supreme Court. The student Supreme Court had no legal counsel. They had never taken a pre-law course, and they were ironically appointed by my predecessors over the previous presidents. Um, Some of them had affiliations to some of our political opponents, and they picked one of those seven, one of those, you know, uh, items that were deemed against us as, uh, as valid, as a third point. And in a kind of a kangaroo court, about nine ten o'clock one evening, the court hit the gavel. In that one gavel, we were disqualified, and our opponents, who lost severely, um, became the president, VP, and senator elect. And so the rest is history. So, how did you recover from this? It was tough. It was tough. Um, mm-hmm. The one thing I told my campaign manager, um, and I described this in, in the mountaintop, um, we I didn't feel we would lose. And that was considered very bold and brash. And no one had knew, knew that we had an African-American student body president in UC Davis history, the first president elected in 1949. So for most people, they say, are you the first president? I don't know. Just vote. So I said, look, the only way we could lose is if we're disqualified. And we were disqualified. Um, this is pre-Twitter, pre-Facebook, right? This is pre-social media. And so we organized at 2, 3, 4 o'clock in the morning, about 800 to 1,000 students protesting the next morning the disqualification. And that was quite revolutionary at that time, right? It was nonviolent, it was peaceful, but it was highly emotional. The second you know, social t- media came out, yes. But you know, I was going to say, Ty, that <clears throat> oftentimes the journey uh, is not fraught, it's not always uh, not fraught with challenges and what we call the Egypt and desert experiences to not to defeat you, but to help you to become and overcome. So that, that I think, you handled this failure and all that has happened to you 
and recovered from it because then you're able to write about it and put it in your book, which I think is so cathartic. And it's very healing when you're able to write about it and to share with others. But certainly, you know what it feels like in the political process and what actually can happen. So, Hammond, are you there with us, my co-host? <laughs> oh, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> uh, yeah, some very good stuff. Um, and again, like you said, Dr. Young, you know, those experiences, those, those uh, challenges and struggles that we do face, you know, it, with, with our faith, sometimes it determines, um, you know, what and how, uh, you know, we, we go through that. And then on the outcome, we have something to share. Uh, so remember, in order to have a testimony, you've got to have a test uh, to go through. So uh, I, I believe that Ty's been sharing some serious tests. <laughs> that he's yes. gone through in order to provide us with a testimony. Uh, so I think that's powerful. And I, I kind of wanted to segue into also with those testimonies um, and tests you've gone through, I know that you've learned some principles and strategies um, that you can use and share to help others transform their lives of young women and women today around the globe. So let's talk a little bit about what success principles and strategies you've learned and, uh, you know, just take a moment and share a couple of things that uh, you, you could share with some of the listeners on how it's transformed your life. You know, one big, one big strategy is focus on servanthood, right? Servanthood, as I call servant leadership, is just essential. And um, I challenge my mentees, my mentees in the corporate arena and also in the faith arena to go from selfish to selfless. Right to self-giving to self—I mean, from self-oriented to self-giving. Right. So as opposed to focusing on oneself, I say, look, you've got to focus on serving other people. You have to focus on being selfless. You got to focus on being self-giving. You got to focus on on um, we call altruism, and mm-hmm. that's tough in the in the modern day. We're in a world of selfies, in a world of um, self-grandizement, right? Where you focus on what can I do for somebody when it may be of no benefit for me. And I believe serving other people, right, not only provides a blessing through um, what you reap is what you sow, but there are people out there who have a need. They have an economic need. They have a spiritual need. They have an emotional need, a psychological need. Identify what someone's need is and serve their need with excellence and with generosity, and you will be blessed. And just do not expect anything from it, but serve people. That is a huge component. And I grew up with a mindset of serving. See, my grandfather really loved and served my grandmother for 52 years of marriage. And I saw his devotion to my grandmother, and I saw my grandmother's devotion to, to him mm-hmm. and to our family. Mm-hmm. And that gave me a great example of how to be a father and be a son and how to be a grandparent. Um, on the corporate and career side, I would tell people, go out there and pursue excellence, right? I write about this in the book, right? But, you know, my mindset as a young kid was, I want to just go out there and win championships. I want to win championships and defend titles. And I had to psychologically motivate myself. And I would tell people, whatever allows you that's healthy, that is safe, and that is ethical to, to secure a psychological um, advantage that gives you confidence it gives you a sense of fortitude to, to push through walls, to push through barriers, then leverage that to the, to the mountain and, mm-hmm. and leverage it to be able to take yourself to the next level. Um, you can't go from the pit to the palace unless you have a real strategy, a real action plan, and that you are determined to really make, make your dreams come to reality. You know, Ty, before we go on break, we've got a couple of minutes. Well, we don't have a couple of minutes, but when we come back from break, we're going to take a quick commercial break. I want to talk about this whole thing of self, because self-living, selfish, and altruism. So I want to get back to that. And so, listeners, stay tuned. We're going to be right back with my guest, Reverend Ty Bledsoe. Thank you. on Facebook, along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. 
There are many challenges associated with recovery from any issue. By building a support system of friends, family members, and professionals, you can overcome these challenges. Tune in to Rise Radio with host Randy Havison. On this program, we'll bring topics to the forefront like addiction, self-esteem, leadership, relationship building, and other topics to empower you and your support system to achieve a greater level of personal growth. Tune in Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. How are you doing in your life? Do you control your life or does it control you? In our hectic, overconnected world, do you spend too much time feeling tired and wired? Tune in to Master Your Life with hosts Leah Mattinson and Dr. Howard Rankin for inspiration, insight, and intelligence on how to gain control of yourself and your life. Along with some inspirational and knowledgeable guests, Leah and Howard will give you the tools needed to help you on your journey. Tune in every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. This is Transformation for Success. To reach Dr. Barbara Young or today's guest, please call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to info at transformationforsuccess.com. Now, back to this week's program. Hello there and welcome back. We just took a quick break uh, from talking with my guest today, Mr. Ty Bledsoe, who is a man of purpose, a man of destiny. So I really have been excited and I hope the listeners you listen to this young man as he's talked about his early experiences. But we were talking about, uh, and it was very profound in talking about his vision in terms of self and how one has to be selfish, has to be moved from selfish to self-giving and to self-living, which gets us to altruism. And one of the things that he talked about, and I really like that tie, was to serve people's needs, find people that have economic needs, they have spiritual needs, they have financial, they have, well, that economic and financial are the same, they're spiritual needs, but they have other physical needs as well. They have emotional needs. And so to find a need, you suggest it, and serve that need with excellence. But I want to get back to the whole notion of self. When you mention self, I want to know, uh, because I believe that you can't give what you don't have. So how did you develop self, you? What was the ingredient or ingredients that you can share that helped to develop the self? That ingredient is going to sound a little silly, right? I was a no. big, big <laughs> fan of. I'm a, I'm a big, I'm a big fan even today of of wrestling. Um, at that time, it was the World Wrestling Federation. Now you call it the WWE Worldwide and World Wrestling Entertainment. Big fan of characters such as Hulk Hogan and the Macho Man Randy Savage, and I was also a fan of martial arts. Being Bruce Lee, um, my father's first degree black belt, and during the years of really going through some tough times in fifth grade and sixth grade and, and struggling schools, um, I just schools were uh, my academic time was a blur. Um, the main thing I remember my fifth grade year at a, at eleven years old was going to dojo three days a week and working to secure my yellow belt and beyond. Um, and if it wasn't for martial arts and me being a wrestling fan, um, my, my self-esteem and confidence would have just went to the pits. I was still with bullies and was deaf in the family, and I just was trying to um, find myself. So once we moved to Fresno, 12 years old, I found mm-hmm. myself as the only African-American, not only in my sixth grade class, but my younger sister and I had found ourselves as one of uh, two out of three African-Americans in our entire elementary school. That was K through six. Mm-hmm. And that really made me think of, okay, wow, I am, I'm black. <laughs> I never mm-hmm. thought of myself as being a black or African American until that moment. And I just said, okay, what is something that can get me excited? Well, I'm a big Hulk Hogan fan and Hulk Hogan had something called Hulkamania. And he did these promos. And those of you uh, who know wrestling, right? You, you see it in now in mm-hmm. the NFL. And he did these great interviews and I just loved them. Um, and I just thought to myself, I need to psychologically make a world of unto my own. And my mother would hear me 
you know, doing these impersonations of Hulk Hogan and these other wrestlers in the bathroom in the morning before I go to school. She didn't know, but I was motivating myself to be the only black face, the only brown face, right, in the room, and to find a way to drive confidence to perform academically, to stand in front mm-hmm. of people and give speeches. And I developed mm-hmm. a term called, it's called time mania. And um, I, 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 you know, we reference it in the book. And um, so it went from Hulkamania to time mania, and that was everything that was my world. That was my family, my friends, my academics. And um, that was the key element that really helped me get through it. So I really had to find a way psychologically to convince myself that I was someone else, that I had a, almost like, a, <laughs> I'm embarrassed <laughs> to say this, right? That I convinced myself that I was like this, 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 this strong, I was a, I'm still not skinny now. I was a bony kid. I was a strong, <laughs> muscular, handsome guy that could rip off his shirt and pick up a 500-pound Andre the Giant. So I did these impersonations, but it gave me the jolt of confidence at as a sixth grader and in middle school. And then I started to gain interest in political empowerment, economic empowerment, and then also mm-hmm. in the scriptures. And that's when I started reading Malcolm X autobiography, and that's when I was just gained gain a great interest in learning about Mr. Nelson Mandela. That was during the apartheid, um, end of apartheid in South Africa, and Mandela was elected in 1992 to president of South Africa. So that really, it shattered all the glass. And once I realized that I could be confident, I'd be three Bs. I was black, bold, and brash. And I had to do that. I had to be a little bit of black, bold, and brash, uh, to, to get to get through that kind of about a two-year malaise. And from there, I just developed a sense of confidence. And as I went into public speaking and being a forensics competitor and serving in ministry, it really allowed me to say, wow, I have a brain, right? God has given me a brain that has ideas, that I have unique thought. And there's if the Bible teaches that God is no respect of person, right, that, that someone in India is no less important than somebody in, in London, right? That somebody in Brazil is, is no less important than somebody in, in, in Miami. That all of us are equal. Then I have something that I can contribute, and hot dog it, I want to be able to imprint myself on this planet. And from there, it, it just went from a spark to a flame to a fire to an inferno. Well, hey, Ty, uh, real quick, I wanted to talk a little bit about your book. Um, I know that um, I wanted to find out if you could tell the people what kind of inspired you. I know that there was a certain incident at the university that may well have served as a motivation for you to write a book called The Mountaintop. Or could yes. you maybe tell us, was it a collection of experiences that you had to make you uh, write this book? Well, you know, The Mountaintop, you know, I had talked to family members and close friends for about a decade. I'd lived The Mountaintop, um, the subtitle, is one black leader's courageous fight for faith, justice, and empowerment. And it's really my memoir. It discusses being raised by a, a single single mother, right? Um, being a third-generation clergy preaching um, as a teenager. And the part of the silver lining is my experience at UC Davis and being elected and then disqualified and fighting, fighting mm-hmm. for people who were um, LGBT, fighting for people of color, fighting for people who were middle to low income, and also fighting for people who were practicing Islam, right? And that was a big part of my constituency. And who would have thought the African-American clergy would, would have um, a strong advocacy and partnership with those in the Islamic community in Northern California? And so I really wrote mm-hmm. the mountaintop, not for therapy for me. Um, I've been fine and um, been very, very blessed to, to serve and serve people. But I really wrote the book to inspire people and the ties, the ties, uh-huh. the millions of ties across this country, the tens of millions of ties across this planet. And I want to encourage people that you are not a victim of your circumstance, that my journey, my tribulations, my triumphs will offer a glimmer of inspiration for them to keep fighting and that they can yearn for not only a higher prize, but that they can relentlessly pursue their dream. And I want to be able to bless people and empower them with specifics and with lessons and with solutions for the future. That's both domestic and international based. Well, early in your book, time, you, you distinguish being significant and successful. So which do you prefer and what do you advise and could share to the listeners on that particular area? 
Between the two, it's always about significance. You always want to strive to be significant as opposed to being successful. My grandfather taught me that at a young age, and my grandfather is, is as much a father to me as my biological father, and, and I love him. My grandfather taught me if it's between the two, you want to have the best impact. And if you have the greatest impact, you're going to have a significant effect. Because there are millions of people who are very successful, Hammer, but they're not significant. Right? There are millionaires, there are billionaires walking this planet right now who are miserable, who are absolutely miserable. They're empty shells, but they are filthy rich. Mm-hmm. But they are not mm-hmm. wealthy when it comes to their impact on the world and their spirit. And so I always encourage people, if it's between the two, you strive for significance. You want to have the biggest and most dynamic impact because if you are significant, you are always successful. All right. All right. Your official launch of the book is scheduled when? And where can we get your book? The official launch of the book is February 1st of this year, Black History Month. And oh. you could order the book at tybloodsoe.com. That's T-Y-B-L-E-D-S-O-E.com. And that's the hub for um, ordering the book. And also for those who like to request me to speak at their conference or convention or church organization or even their corporate environment, you could submit a request to my team. And um, I'm looking forward to engaging people across the globe. The book is already right now available in pre-order. Pre-order, you can go oh, to typebloodsoe.com and order the book. Uh, we released the book about three weeks early for audiences, and we have orders coming in, Dr. Young, and they're international. So we have orders from from the East Coast and the North mm-hmm. East Corridor, Maryland, New York, all the way down to the Southeast of the United States, all the way to the Silicon Valley West Coast. And internationally, we receive orders from the Federated States of Micronesia down in the South Pacific and also in That's India. That's great. So, that's I'm, uh, great. I'm excited. Awesome. But, you know, awesome. One of, one of the questions, I guess, people always ask, <clears throat> what do you hope your book will accomplish? What I really hope the book accomplishes is that I want to infuse, I really want to infuse a sense of confidence and hope in people, regardless of their mm-hmm. circumstance, regardless if you're being raised by a single parent, regardless if you were growing up impoverished, regardless if you were experiencing some bigotry or sexism or some hate crime, if you are internationally based and you're dealing with a corrupt government or if you're in a local community and just looking for an economic opportunity and some hope that you can break through, that you are not a victim of your circumstance, that your prayers are not falling on deaf ears, that your dreams are not deferred for another year, another decade, another lifetime. We have one life to live. And I want to empower people with specific tools to go forward, be fruitful, and serve and bless as many people as possible. Because your dreams are valid. Your goals are valid. Your goals are recognized and do not have any limitation, regardless of who you are and and what challenges you have. Well, you know, uh, your book uh, covers a range of of ideas and thoughts. One of the things I know that you've been a strong proponent for social justice and you know and I'm intrigued uh, as to if that's a result of what happened to you at the university that you you somehow weave that in your book about social justice and empowerment for people who really uh, do deserve social justice what can you say about that Ty how you've uh, outlined that in your book you know I, I was a proponent of social justice and, 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 and empowerment before I experienced death threats from the Ku Klux Klan, before I received hate crime um, phone calls to my apartment um, after my election as student money president, before I had the campus police department serving as my um, on-campus security for three and a half months after my election. Um, but what happened at UC Davis just crystallized it. It just made it emphatically clear that this is my life calling, and I am not receiving all this resistance from people who didn't vote for me, but from folks who just did not want to deal with history being fulfilled. And as I became older, I said, how can I empower people as a corporate leader, as an entrepreneur, as a faith-based leader, and, and just as a future father and husband? And so for me, it's a part of my core being to advocate for 
people to have an improved quality of life, to advocate for people to have shared economic prosperity. I don't believe, Dr. Young, in the zero-sum game theory that your blessings are my curse and my mm-hmm. success is your, is your loss. I believe that all boats can rise. And so we need to come up with real pragmatic and innovative solutions that people from sea to shining sea across this globe can share an improved quality of life where they can be blessed, they can have a fulfilled quality of life, not only for themselves, but two generations out, that their grandchildren can have as good, if not a better quality of life than, than that their four parents are experiencing right now. Well, we have one minute about wrap up that I want to ask because I really enjoyed this and we could go on and on. We got one minute um, that what is your greatest joy in life right now, Ty? One word. <laughs> one my word. Children. We gotta, my children. Oh, my God. I really want to thank you because we got to wrap up. And I know, gosh, the time went by. And I know the listeners, you've enjoyed the show with my guest today, Mr. Ty Bledsoe. So, Ty, I want to thank you again for your insightful inspirational words and just for sharing your story your dreams and this new book but the mountaintop you've got to get it and so Hammond do you have something you want to say Mr. Bolden before we close out well I just want to thank him uh, a man that's on the move a man that's inspiring and uh, changing things and not only his situation but everything that he comes in contact with God bless you Ty and much success to your new book and launch. So until next week, folks, uh, this is Mr. Hammond Bolden and with Dr. Barbara Young of Transformation for Success Radio Talk Show signing off. So be blessed, keep well on your journey to success. Yay! Thank you for listening. God bless everybody. Bless you, Ty. We appreciate you joining us for Transformation for Success. Please join your host, Dr. Barbara Young, again next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. That's 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Or join us for our replay every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. Have an outstanding week.